Second Timothy, once again, I want to draw your attention again this evening as uh, we heard this morning to this last letter, last surviving letter of the Apostle Paul as he wrote it at the end of some 30 years of apostolic ministry uh, to his beloved son in the faith and a faithful young minister, the pastor of the church at Ephesus, Timothy. And I remind you again that this letter is a bit unique in the sense that it gives us a picture, a window into the life of the aged apostle at the end now of his ministry and the end of his life. So he writes it while in Rome during his second imprisonment, and he will not get out this time. He will be beheaded, more than likely, and that's how we we believe he died. And he, here in this letter, writes his final words of encouragement And as we heard this morning, gives the final charge to Timothy to preach the Word. So now, this evening, we want to meditate upon the last part of the chapter, really verses 6 through 8, but I'll read for the sake of context from verse 6 down to the end of the letter. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Do your best to come to me soon, for... Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm, The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. So far, the reading of God's holy word. Please be seated. Well, in Milan, one of my favorite places to visit once in a while is uh, Basilica Sant'Ambrogio. It's the basilica that uh, Ambrose, uh, a great leader in the ancient church, it's where he's buried. And it's one of the five churches that he planted in his life. You can go there and um, they have a crypt, and his bones are laying there, and he's laid between two Christian martyrs from Milan during a persecution who died in the 2nd century, uh, Gervasius on one side, 
and Prostasius on the other. Uh, Ambrose is an interesting guy because he was a preacher of the Word. He was a great hymn writer, church planter, defender of orthodoxy, sender of missionaries, mentor, spiritual father to Augustine, and one of the four great doctors of the early church. A giant. And he's right there buried in Milan. And whatever we think of the display, you know, Ambrose's legacy as a servant of Christ's church and God's word, it stands as a testimony uh, to one who, by God's grace, fought the good fight, finished the race, and kept the faith. And now his body uh, awaits the resurrection, which the Lord Jesus has promised to all who trust in him. Uh, Ambrose wasn't a perfect person, yet he ran well and he finished his race. And crossing the the finish line really should be the goal of, of every believer, to go to the end, confessing Christ. Uh, we're not all called to be giants like Ambrose. Few people are. But we are all called to press on and, and persevere to the end. We're called to finish the course that God called us to run. And maybe you've come in here this evening a little weary on the course, a little tired of fighting the good fight. And maybe you're ready to give up on your marriage, on your family, on serving the Lord, maybe on the faith altogether. That's reality. Sometimes believers feel that way. Yeah, we think of the college student who is suddenly faced with seemingly irrefutable claims against the Christian faith. Or the struggling believer who feels an overwhelming sense of guilt because of her personal battle against sexual immorality. Or the disillusioned member of a congregation after a, a, a difficult and ugly church split. All kinds of things can cause us to want to quit. And churches can want to quit too on missions, feeling tired of all of the, the work that goes into it. Well, where do we find the strength to press on as individuals, as families, as a congregation? Where do we find the courage and the perseverance, the, 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 the motivation to fight the good fight and to keep the faith? The Apostle Paul knew the answer, even as he was in prison for the umpteenth time, and this time about to lose his life. He knew the answer, and he wanted Timothy to know that as he writes this last letter to his beloved son in the faith. Oh, Timothy, all of this stuff is coming, but you preach the word. You continue. You be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. I'm done. I've run my race. I've fought the fight. I've kept the faith. It was only by the grace of God, the grace that is in Christ Jesus, that he was able to say those things, that he was able to be full of hope, even in a, a difficult place, not a place of comfort and ease, but a place of loneliness. He was cold. He was without the necessary tools to redeem the time. He wanted to see his friends. He knew he was about to die. And yet he uses these three metaphors to describe how God's grace 
had enabled him to fulfill his ministry and complete his mission. And these three metaphors apply to all of us, not only as a congregation, as you think about finishing what God has called you to do as a congregation in terms of the Great Commission, as we heard this morning, and missions, but even as individual Christians, loved ones. Fighting the good fight is the first one, he says. In, here in verse 7, verse, uh, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. An expression that could have either military or athletic connotations. His point is that the Christian life involves a constant struggle, a fight, a battle against spiritual forces of darkness and against sin. Earlier in this letter, Paul exhorted Timothy, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 3. And in his first letter to Timothy, he urged his beloved spiritual son to wage the good warfare. 1 Timothy 1.18. And fight the good fight of faith. 1 Timothy 6.12. So it's a fight that we've been called to. It's a good fight because it's for the glory of God. It's a good fight because it's for the sake of the gospel, as he's been saying. And every Christian is called to fight this good fight, armed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, says Paul to the Corinthians, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's the fight we're called to fight. And you are strengthened by the one who has all authority and all power in heaven and on earth. And Christians can be confident that the gospel that we have, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of the life, death, and resurrection of what Jesus has done for us in history, the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father, that it announces the good news, the promise of eternal life and brings forth a new creation which was inaugurated by Jesus. We need not fear as we're armed with that weapon in a society that may be hostile against the gospel. You have a bigger weapon as a Christian. And so these catechism classes you have, the sitting under the ministry of the Word week in and week out, it's strengthening you as a soldier of Jesus Christ to fight the good fight. We have a real fight, and a fight against indwelling sin and against false doctrine. That's why all Christian men and women, not just ministers, not just missionaries, not just elders and deacons and pastors were all called to put on the whole armor of God, as Paul said to the church at Ephesus, so that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. There's a real fight. How do we fight it? Well, to find the answer, we have to consider the Apostle Paul, what did he do? What did he do? He said throughout this letter, 
um, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, how do you do that? How are you strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus? First of all, what is grace exactly? What is it? Sometimes we think of grace as like this stuff or this power that we get, like an energy drink or, you know, uh, a triple ca- uh, espresso in the morning. I'm powered with grace. Now I can go. What are we talking about, first of all, when we're saying grace? The word grace. We're talking about God's disposition toward us, his favor in Jesus Christ. It's receiving a good gift that we do not deserve. That's what grace is. It's a little different than mercy. Mercy is not getting the judgment you do deserve, which is great. If you get pulled over by the police, as I did one Sunday morning when I was a pastor in San Diego, I forgot my sermon and I had to go back and get it. Uh, This is before technology was as advanced as it is today. And uh, coming back to church to make it in time for the call to worship, I was going way over the speed limit. Pulled over by the California Highway Patrol at the last off-ramp of the highway before you you go to the church there. And early Sunday morning, pretty much the only people using that off-ramp were members of my congregation. And uh, everybody's doing the neck, looking back at Pastor Brown there, pulled over by the the police. What happens? I deserve justice. I deserve a ticket, a hike in my insurance rates, the shame placed upon me by my children who would mock me, and uh, driving school and everything else that they heap upon you in California. Ask me why I'm speeding. I said, you might not believe this, but I'm the pastor of the church right down there a couple blocks away. The call to worship's about to start. Deserved justice. He goes back and checks to make sure I'm not, you know, a real bad guy and comes back and says, what's the last word in the Bible? And I said, excuse me, come on, you're supposed to be a pastor. Uh, amen. Hands it to me. Slow it down, Pastor Brown. <laughs> what did I get? Mercy. That's mercy. I didn't get the judgment I deserved. Now, grace goes one step further. Grace would have been if the police officer says, hey, and you know what? Here's $500 for you and your wife, you know, to go out and just have the, go out to the best restaurant in San Diego. And guess what? The California Highway Patrol is going to pay for your insurance for the next two years. And you can drive as fast as you want on this highway. Okay, all that would have been ridiculous, right? That would have been absurd. And that's how grace is. Grace is a little absurd. What do you get in grace? You get eternal life. You get Christ's righteousness. You get the forgiveness of all your sins. You get adopted by the creator of the universe. So you are a child of God. It seems too good to be true. You don't earn it. Jesus earned it. That's grace. Paul says, if you want to fight the good fight, be strengthened by grace, by that message. That's why hearing the gospel is so important every week. That's why receiving the Lord's Supper is so important. That that message is announced again and again and again. That it seems too good to be true. 
Yet it's for me. It's for you personally. Personally. Strengthened by the grace. I was strengthened by grace this morning as I sat there and Pastor John served me communion and said, the body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Put the elements in my hand. That's grace that strengthens you. Paul says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So this is your identity. This is who you are. And as a child of God, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, all your sins forgiven. You have eternal life. You're adopted. What do you have to fear at the end of the day? He hasn't given us a spirit of fear. You can fight the good fight. Being strengthened in that message. That's what Paul says. And he says, finish the race. That's the next thing. The second description of his fulfilled ministry is, I have finished the race. Verse 7. You know, some years earlier, while he prepared to board a ship on the shores of Miletus, all the, the elders of the church of Ephesus were there, and Timothy was among them. And he gives that great uh, discourse, that farewell speech, uh, as he's going to head off now to Jerusalem. It's in Acts chapter 20, and he says, but none of these things move me. He talked about the persecution he was about to face. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Acts 20, 24. I'm not much into life verses, but if I were to have one, I think it'd be that one. That I may finish my race with joy. He doesn't say win the race. Because the Christian life isn't a competition. He says finish the race. As a missionary in a foreign land and doing everything in a second language, and it can be discouraging. It can be lonely sometimes. It's tempting to not finish the race. It's tempting to say, well, I've been there for five years or maybe later ten years and okay, I'm done, I'm out, and not finish the course. It's tempting. It's tempting for ministers, as Pastor John will tell you at times, to say, oh, maybe, I, maybe I've, I'm at my limit. It's tempting for you as Christians at times to say, I don't know if I can press on in the covenant of marriage or the covenant of that I'm in with God as it's manifested in the local church. I don't know if I can press on. We're called to press on. We're called to run a race, all of us, as Hebrews tells us. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking unto Jesus, that's the key. Strengthened by the grace that is in Christ. If I look to myself, if I look to my circumstances, there's no hope there. There, there, There's no rejuvenation in the race. But looking unto Jesus, he says, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
That's how we can grow. Paul doesn't tell Timothy, hey, go do great things for God, Timothy. All he says is preach the word, be sober-minded, endure persecution, affliction, hardship, fulfill your ministry, do the work of an evangelist, be faithful, be faithful, finish the race. And we can do that because Christ has already won the race for us. The rest of us are simply called to stay the course and finish without dropping out or becoming disqualified. And the good news is that if you're here this evening saying, yeah, but Pastor Mike, I feel so tired. I don't know if I can drag myself across that finish line. Jesus will drag you across it. You just look to him. He'll, you keep looking to him. And he'll carry you. And in that, by looking to him, you will continue to run that race. So finish the race. Keep the faith. That's the third thing. I have kept the faith. What does that mean? He had faithfully guarded the good deposit entrusted to him, the truth, the gospel. He didn't veer off this way or that way into to false teaching, and now he was passing the torch to Timothy and to the next generation. The faith, note the, the definite article there. It's a reference to, to the gospel and to essential Christian doctrine, which is why we confess the, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and those things, because it, it, it codifies and embodies the uh, uh, essentials of Christianity that we need to pass on to the next generation. And so Timothy now needs to do the same and press on. Some, sadly, some Christians have failed to finish the race because, or keep the faith because they, they've embraced false teaching and, and, and abandoned it, kissed it, kiss Christianity goodbye. But we have a faith to keep which, for which we must contend earnestly. And we're called to stand together in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel and bring that faith to the nations as we're doing. And the promise of Jesus is that in doing these things, He will give rest for our weary souls and reward us in His grace. Because Paul says in verse 8, notice how he rejoices in what awaits him. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. A crown in the Olympic Games, you know, thousands of years ago, in the Greco-Roman world, they'd put a wreath, a crown on the head of, of the winner a wreath of honor. And here he uses that metaphor to describe the the permanent and perfect state of righteousness that will be ours in glory. Glorification. Uh, You know, this is the righteousness which, which Christ earned for us through His act of obedience to the Father. It has already been imputed to the sinner who trusts in Christ receives it by faith alone. God justifies and declares righteous all those who receive this righteousness by faith so that we're already justified. And nevertheless, justified believers are not yet glorified. We still are polluted with sin and have bodies that feel the effects of the fall. We, we, although God is already, uh, He already regards us as just and righteous and perfect in His sight on the account of the imputed righteousness of Christ, He has not yet brought the believer to completion. 
And in this life, we are still undergoing that slow, lifelong process of being sanctified. That is being made more righteous internally. And we need to to be called again and again to run the race, continue, keep fighting the fight, press on, keep keeping the faith. Don't give up because you have something waiting for you, an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, that's reserved in heaven for you. And that reward wasn't just for the Apostle Paul. It's for every believer in the Lord Jesus. Because notice that Paul adds, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The same crown of righteousness that awaited the Apostle Paul awaits you, Christian, as you look to Jesus. So do you rejoice in the appearing of Christ? Do you you rejoice in what He accomplished in His life, death, and resurrection? Uh, Are you longing for His return when He will destroy death forever and annihilate all evil and raise our bodies from the dead? If so, if it's yes, yes, I I long for that. I'm a wretch. Uh, I'm, I'm imperfect. I'm the worst fighter in this fight. I'm the worst runner in this race. I'm the worst keeper of the faith. But yes, I long for those things. Then a crown of righteousness awaits you because Jesus is the one who earned it. He's the one who fought the fight perfectly. He's the one who ran his race all the way to the end. So he said, Father, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory that I had with you before the world was. And the next day as he hung on the cross after praying that prayer, he said, it is finished. What is finished? His fight, his race. He kept it all and he did it for you. So there's a crown waiting for you. Now when we hear that and receive that by faith, we're strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We're strengthened and we can press on. And we can go to the nations, even while we're suffering, even through difficulty and hardship. Because God will continue to use people to reach people. Broken people, imperfect people. It'll use you to reach your neighbor. And he may be raising you up to launch you out even to another country. To learn a different language. And to bring the gospel to people who need to hear it. What consolation and encouragement that brings us as those who find us at times troubled in conscience and weak in our faith because of our failures. In his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus did it all for us. And God accepts us and loves us now, not because of how well we're fighting the good fight or running the race, but because of how well His Son did. And that is good news, loved ones. In Christ, we have everything, said Ambrose. Ambrose said, If you find yourself oppressed by guilt, Christ is your righteousness. If you are in need of help, Christ is your strength. If you are afraid of death, Christ is the life. If you desire heaven, Christ is the way. If you need refuge from the darkness, Christ 
is the light. May God continue to strengthen all of us by the grace that is in Jesus Christ so that we can continue to fight, to run, to keep, and to be a blessing to the nations. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your word and for the work of your Holy Spirit. Encourage our hearts, O Lord. And we thank you this evening so much for Jesus, for what he accomplished for us in our place. O Lord, we desire to make him known. Give us courage. Help us not to ever shrink back with fear, knowing that you haven't given us a spirit of fear, but one of love, of power, of self-control. O Lord, we pray that we would be faithful. Strengthen us, O Lord, for we are often unfaithful. We confess, O Lord, that we feel weak at times. Lord, strengthen us by the grace that is in Christ Jesus so that we can continue to go forward, that we can continue to make disciples of Jesus Christ, your Son, and see people who do not know Him transformed into worshipers of Him all by your gospel. Hear our prayer. Forgive us our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Loved ones, let's respond in song, uh, singing to the Lord, lifting up our voices with the hymn.